The story you'll hear more than any other story in your entire life is the story you tell yourself about yourself. And a lot of people watching this right now don't know that they have the permission and the power to write an amazing story. Because when you do, when you choose your thoughts or your soundtracks, it turns into new actions, which turns into new results and a new life. Getting on camera, starting a YouTube channel, or making a tough decision in your business requires both confidence and courage. Fear and overthinking at best can increase anxiety, and at worst, it can leave us paralyzed and stuck in that moment. When it comes to starting your YouTube channel, how do you get over the fear and create confidence on camera? Well, in today's episode, we're diving in with our friend, John Acuff. My name is Heather Torres, and you are listening to the Think Media Podcast, the number one podcast to help you grow a high impact and high profit YouTube channel, and then take that impact and influence and turn it into revenue. Well, today we are actually diving into a great interview that Sean Cannell did with our our friend John Acuff. And we're going to be learning about the three R's to tap into the power of overthinking. What are those? And how to power up your videos with both comedy and humor. And today's episode is brought to you by Think Masterclass. We actually have a special live session happening on Monday that I'll tell you more about later on during this episode. Well, let's jump into today's featured content and I'll hit you back up at the end of today's interview. I am so fired up for today's podcast because my friend John Acuff is going to be really helping us build our camera confidence, punch fear in the face, and really overcome overthinking that can affect all of us. Whether you want to start a YouTube channel, whether you want to get on camera for your next video, whether you want to make a big decision in scaling your business, it can be really easy to get into analysis, paralysis, and overthinking. And so if you're just meeting John though, John is incredible. New York Times bestselling author of seven books, including the brand new book, Soundtracks, which just hit the Wall Street Journal bestsellers list. He's an Inc. Magazine top 100 leadership speaker. He's spoken to a lot of people, hundreds of thousands, but it, like maybe a few brands you've heard of, FedEx, Nissan, Microsoft, Chick-fil-A, Nokia, Comedy Central, just some of those. Highly engaged social media following and recently has not only launched some new podcast stuff, but has been active on YouTube. And so I'm so fired up for him to give us some tips so we can be more courageous in starting and growing our YouTube channels, as well as just learning about how to turn overthinking into a superpower. John Acuff, how's it going? It's going great, man. Thanks for having me, dude. I'm looking forward to it. I am so fired up to have you on uh, the podcast. And I, I want to hear a little bit about your story and things and your journey with overthinking. But just off the top, like how much of a problem is overthinking? And do you think that the pandemic 2020 especially has really even added more to that problem? Yeah. So what's interesting, the researcher I work with, this guy named Mike Peasley, he's a PhD, just a genius. We asked 10,000 people if they struggle with overthinking and 99.5% of people said yes. And this was before 2020. Like 2020 was catnip for overthinking. And I'll give you an example. I've been telling people everything is a thing. So the other day, somebody went to shake my hand. And right before I did, I was like, should I refuse to shake their hand? What if I give them an elbow? What if I fist bump them? What if I shake it? But then I put my whole arm into a vat of hand sanitizer as if to say, excuse me, while I wash off this deadly pandemic, you just tried to murder me with, sir. And then I looked around the room. And I was like, is this a handshaking event? What does that say about us politically? 
I thought all of that right before I shook his hand. You know what I thought two years ago when I shook somebody's hand? Nothing. Everything is a thing. And so overthinking was already an epidemic. And now every little part of your life has extra thinking baked into it. And so it's widespread. Man, that is so true. And uh, that, that it's it's such weird vibes. There's I, the other day, it, the mask wasn't fully covering the nose. I I felt like I was the worst human being in the oh, world. Yeah, when yeah. you, you know, were like, trying to kill grandparents. Exactly. Whose grandparents am I trying to kill today? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, it, crazy culture, crazy overthinking vibes. How about this though? What do you think about for people who are getting on camera, starting YouTube channels, trying to get in front of starting a new podcast or something like that? Some of those things, you've been doing that stuff for a while, but you recently really got serious about your YouTube channel. Where does overthinking come into creating content? Well, overthinking comes into where you go, okay, I want it to be perfect. I want it to be amazing. I don't, you know, I want my first videos to be the best videos I've ever had. I want this to go really, really well. And then it fires off all these kind of perfectionism thoughts of, okay, I, I can't get into YouTube until, you know, one, one really easy example is I'll meet people that'll go, I can't launch my channel. I can't do it until I have all the information, until I know everything I'm going to do, until I've got the right logo, until I have all these pieces. And I'll tell them, we haven't lived in an all world for a hundred years. You will never have all the information. What you will have is enough. So switch out the word all for enough. Okay, here's enough information for me to launch. Here's enough information for me to get the right camera. Here's enough information for me to step in front of the camera. But if you say to yourself, I can't make YouTube videos until I have all the information, you'll overthink it and you'll never actually launch. Man, that's some powerful stuff. And you recently started your YouTube channel. Can you talk about that journey? I mean, you maybe it's existed for a long time, but you started getting consistent. It barely, it barely existed. I mean, I had, I had like, I planted my flag and then I was like, I'll see you in 10 years. Um, and so for me, part of what happened is I do two things all year. I write books and then go speak about the books at companies. And last March, I'm a live event speaker. I'd say it's 70% of my, my business. Um, all of it got paused. Every event I had either got canceled, moved to another year or put on pause. And so all of a sudden I stopped and went, wait a second, I better figure out, and it's an overused word, but I better figure out how to pivot. Um, you know, I essentially lost my job. What do I, what am I going to do? And I've been teaching people a question they can answer and ask in moments like this. The question is what would have made this season easier? Look at your life and go, what would have made it easier? And then go build that. So when I looked at my life and said, what would have made this season easier? A YouTube channel was the most obvious answer. If I had an additional income stream, if I had the chance to share ideas with clients via video, if I had more on-camera experience, I mean, I'm doing tons of virtual events right now, but imagine, Sean, if I had spent five years practicing being engaged and energetic and connected with a YouTube channel, I would have been so much better off. Now, I don't stand there and regret that. There's no point going, I should have started a YouTube channel 10 years ago. One of the biggest lies that'll keep you out of YouTube is it's too late. It's not too late. That's garbage. This is the perfect, if you've got breath, it's not too late. And so for me, I realized, okay, this would be easier if I had this ability, if I had a YouTube channel. And that's what made me say, okay, it's time to invest in it. It's time to get you know, serious about it. It's time to learn about it. That's what kind of kicked off my journey into YouTube. Wow. And so grateful and definitely check out John Acuff on YouTube because he's got incredible content, a good channel to subscribe to. Um, it's hard to fix something we don't know is broken. 
Um, and your new book is called Soundtracks. And I love the analogy. You could break that down for us because one of the things you talk about is broken soundtracks, this place where we're overthinking the patterns, the music mm -hmm. in our mind. What is a soundtrack and what's a surefire fire way to recognize a broken soundtrack? So a soundtrack is just my phrase for a repetitive thought. I've heard people say a thought is like a leaf on a river or a car on the highway, cloud in the sky. For me, it's a soundtrack because a soundtrack plays automatically usually and has the ability to completely shape the moment. For instance, we're talking about video. Like if you see a video and it opens up on a beautiful idyllic scene in a small town and there's a white picket fence and kids frolicking in the street and then they play an ominous, ominous song, suddenly it changes everything. Suddenly you're like, there's a clown in the sewer. Like I know there is like, but if they play a Vanessa Carlton thousand miles, you're like, Oh, she's making her way downtown. Like this is a rom-com like Matthew McGonaghy's going to be part of it. The soundtracks change everything. They've done studies on if you hear the jaws soundtrack, how, what that does to you physically. And so that's what a soundtrack is. And most people don't know that they get to change their soundtracks. Most people think a thought is something they have, not something they hone. And so they let thoughts show up of their own and they don't understand that, no, you get to choose what you listen to. And, and we talk about storytelling a lot, you and I, because that's a lot of YouTube is storytelling. The most important story, the story you'll hear more than any other story in your entire life is the story you tell yourself about yourself. And a lot of people watching this right now don't know that they have the permission and the power to write an amazing story. Because when you do, when you choose your thoughts or your soundtracks, it turns into new actions, which turns into new results and a new life. So the clearest way, I'll give everyone a really easy way to figure out, do I have some broken soundtracks? Write down a desire. Write down something you want to do. We're talking about YouTube. I want to start a YouTube channel. I want to grow my YouTube channel. I want to scale my business. I want to hire somebody. I want to do less editing because I got so big. Whatever it is, write down a desire and then listen for the first thoughts that come. Because here's what I say. Every reaction is an education. What's your reaction to that little bit of dreaming? Even just that tiny bit of dreaming, what's the reaction? And if your reaction is negative, you might have a broken soundtrack. Whew, that's some powerful stuff. And um, in the book is Soundtracks. Of course, we'll link that up in the show notes. And um, we coming up are going to talk about the three R's on how to tap into the power of overthinking. Um, but one of the things that I love is I love Zig Ziglar. One of my favorite quotes that he said is you don't have to be great to start, but you have to start to be great. And you were friends with Zig Ziglar and interviewed his son, Tom, for this book. What are some of the things that you learned from Zig Ziglar over the years? Well, so I got to have lunch with Zig and his wife a few years before he passed, and he was just incredibly generous. I said to him, I'm trying to do what you do. I'm trying to encourage people you know, on a large scale. I'm trying to bring hope to people. I'm trying to teach people. And he really walked me through a bunch of ideas. But when I got – so I bumped into Tom Ziegler, his son, for this book because – I didn't want to write about positive thinking. I'm a fairly skeptical person. Like I'm, I'm a sarcastic person. I grew up with serenity now on Seinfeld and Saturday Night Live. Like I'm good enough. I'm smart enough and doggone it. People like me, but I kept running into really talented, really high achieving people. And if I talked to them off camera, off mic, and I'd go, Hey, 
what do you think about positive thinking? They would kind of get quiet and go, well, I give myself a little pep talk, you know, in the afternoon or I've got some declarations or I've got some mantras. I got some affirmations. And I was like, oh, no, I'm going to have to research positive thinking. And so I went to the source, which is Zig Ziglar. Um, He's kind of, you know, a godfather of motivational thought in this country. And that's where I ended up interviewing Tom Ziglar. I think the interview with Tom Ziglar is worth the whole price of the the book. Um, But I essentially played stump the Ziglar. I kept trying to find like, well, what about this? What about this? Like, what if this happens? Like, are you saying that you should just, you know, lie to yourself and say like, you know, you know, um, like everything's fine. Like everything's fine. Fake it till you make it. He's like, no, we never teach fake it till you make it. He was like, no. And what I learned is you never fix a broken soundtrack with a new lie. And so an example of that is he, like Tom said, you would never say I'm in the best shape of my life if you're not, because your brain knows you're not. And it triggers off cognitive dissonance. Your brain goes, these two things aren't true. So we're not going to work together. He said, instead you tell the truth in advance. I'm getting fitter and fitter every day in every way. So I'm getting better and better at YouTube every day in every way. And so I kept trying to find holes in his plan. And I mean, I think one of my favorite stories he told me about his dad was he said, you know, if you fly more than once, you're going to get delayed. You're going to have a flight canceled. You're going to get delayed. And his dad in a moment like that, that was negative was always ready because he had his most important work with him. He always had it with him. So a a delayed flight wasn't an emergency. A delayed flight was an invitation to do his most important work. So you can just see Zig Ziglar. He's at an airport and they go, your flight's going to be two hours late. And he's like, cool. I'll be right over there. Just crushing. He always prepared for negative moments like that. And so for me, the conversation was really fascinating. It turned into us studying affirmations and taking 10,000 people through an affirmation study to go, okay, what works about affirmations? What's the science behind it? And it's, it's fascinating. Even just listening, like they did a 12 year study, a a guy named Dr. Haskins at the university of Tennessee, 12 year study played five minutes of negativity on a radio for people. And just five minutes a day, lowered their belief in the universe. It, it, it decreased their willingness to help other people. It increased their depression. Five minutes a day. How many of your viewers, your listeners only watch Twitter for five minutes a day, only watch Facebook for five minutes a day, only watch the news. So the negative things we're feeding ourselves have a tremendous impact. Now, the good news is so do the positive things. And that's where it comes down to going, I'm going to create the kind of soundtracks that push me forward versus pull me back. And when I do, that's when new stuff happens. Man, that's such a powerful concept. And I, I, it's interesting that you bring up the news. It feels like there's always been the chance that, you know, drama kind of sells, the scariest stuff sells, the, you know, the, the most negativity is what gets us to click through the headline or gets us to stick, you know, coming up the worst news you've ever heard. Yeah, so the dangerous around. poison you're probably drinking right now in your kitchen. And you're like, what? Well, hey, am I guzzling poison? This is terrible. And so I love this concept because I can, uh, our, our listeners are already thinking about, man, I want to have the right soundtracks. So I get the right, you know, results in my life, build momentum with my YouTube channel. But I know it's always kind of like, there's different people. I'm, I'm that way where I'm like, I don't like to listen to a, a lot of news or some people say, I don't listen to the news at all. And then some people critique that. And it's like, now you need to stay informed though. What, what is your thought to that? The tension of that conversation? Cause people go to extremes, especially like sometimes people of faith are like, I never watch the news. And that can even signal like kind of an ignorance angle. Uh, but on the flip side, you're backing it by science. What do you think the wisdom is to navigate that? Well, I mean, here's a really interesting study that I put in the book. So scientists at NYU brought in college students, two, group of, two groups of college students. They said, hey, we want you to make 
sentences out of these words. So they gave them a bunch of words, a word bank, said, make some sentences. The other group, same, same instructions, but inside that word bank were words related to being old. They had secretly hidden words like retired and bald and Florida. So they make these sentences, the two groups, and they say, hey, right down the hall is the second part of the test. Will you please walk there? And so while they were walking there, the scientists secretly timed them to see how long it would take. And the people who had been exposed to words related to being elderly physically walk slower. Just reading words about being old made them physically change the way their bodies work. So the power of negative words on who you are and how you feel is a billion percent documented. It's powerful. And so what I'd say to that is, I think there's a middle ground between you're ignoring everything and you're informed. Like when I, you know, during the pandemic, when they would show the running death toll, like a, like a slot machine, what was that doing for my life? What was that? Like, what information did I need from that? Like, how did that change my day other than just give me buckets of anger, buckets of fear, buckets of cortisol? Like that wasn't providing any help. So when somebody says you need to be informed, I'd go, well, what did you do with the information? Like, how did that, how did that improve your life? How did you help the person that that information was about? So I think there's a real temptation to go like, no, I'm just being informed. But I think there's a, there's a, a a part of your life where you go, this isn't adding anything and I'm not adding anything to it. I'm just stuck in this loop, this negative loop. Okay. You know, what does it look like for me to be informed, but also recognize these things have a cost like these, like these things have an impact on me. Um, is it, is it an impact I'm happy about? Or is it an impact that's actually discouraging me? Is it an impact that's making me feel like I don't want to help? Is it an impact that's making me hate my neighbor instead of have conversations with my neighbor? The problem with news, the problem with social media is it flattens individuals into ideas. It's easy to hate an idea. It's hard to hate an individual. It's Mm -hmm. easy to hate somebody who's flat. It's hard to go, well, that's Mark, my neighbor. Like we vote differently, but as my guy, like we talk at the grill and we work our issues up. You can't do that as easily when it's on Twitter. And I think that's where people get confused. Wow. Wise. Um, kind of pivoting into one of my favorite things about your style, about your writing is the book is really funny. And, uh, which is probably why Jim Gaffigan endorsed the book. Right. And, um, a couple questions about humor is it's one of the most, like I've heard, you know, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Right. And, uh, you're funny in keynotes. You also really put a lot of work into your, obviously into your writing, into your speeches, uh, and keynotes and your talks. One of the most powerful aspects of powering up YouTube videos or making them more interesting is, is not just like, even if you're educating is edutainment, bringing in some humor, bringing in some wit. Um, I, I kind of want to unpack this with you. Like if you have any tips totally. for making, I a hundred percent, like, go. I love this question. So the problem is YouTubers will often read, okay, you should be funny. And then they'll try to be funny in a way that's not their version of funny. And it comes off like they're wearing their dad's coat at the eighth grade dance. So they open up the video and they they read something that said, you always should have a joke. And they go, what about this joke? And it's not connected to the content at all. It's not authentic at all. And they do, then do a hard left turn to like, and now time for content. And you're like, whoa, there was no transition. So what I say to YouTubers is if you're dry in your sense of humor at a dinner party, be dry on YouTube. If you're slapstick, at a dinner party, be slapstick on YouTube. What people want is authentic humor. So once you realize that, like 
it's about self-awareness. So I tell YouTubers all the time, be self-aware so that when you say something that's funny in real life to a friend, don't then become a different person when you get behind the camera. People want to see who you are, not who you're pretending to be to perform for the camera. So the other day, I mean, the way I do that, a really practical sense, because I always try to bring things to the practical. I carry a notebook. I have a notebook with me. And if I say something that I think is funny or it's an observation, I'll write it down and I'll workshop it later. And so like, I'll give you two examples. One, I was walking into my UPS store and I saw a bumper sticker that said, my dog is smarter than your honor student. We've all seen that bumper sticker. And for this time I thought, no, it's not. Like, no, like dogs eat vomit. Like I've never seen, like I've never had somebody go, oh, our AP calculus students are amazing. But unfortunately they eat a lot of throw up. They just do. Or like I, dogs get afraid of thunder. I've never heard somebody go, our AP students are great, but we have to put thunder shirts on them if the band plays too loud because they're scared of loud noises. Like, and then I was like, well, the joke there is where did you go to school? How bad was your high school that you legitimately think your dog is smarter than an honor student? Like, that's not true at all. And so I observe that, I save it, and then I can work on it. Here's the key, like the key to creativity, in my opinion. I put this in the book. Dorothy Parker, who's an amazing, she was an amazing writer, she said, the definition of creativity is a wild mind and a disciplined eye. The wildness is you fill your head with all these different topics, somebody else's video angle, something that Sean said, something your neighbor said, a song lyric from John Mayer, whatever. You have this wild, wild mind. And then you have the discipline to see the connection. You have a disciplined eye to see, okay, when I link these three things together, I create something fresh and something new. So for me, like when it comes to creating YouTube videos, I don't believe in writer's block. I believe in idea bankruptcy. Like, I don't believe in writer's block. I believe in idea bankruptcy. I never sit down to work on a YouTube video without bringing some friends. I never sit down to a blank page. So that was one of the ideas, the, the sticker with the um, honor student. The other one was just the other day, I was talking to some friends about jacuzzis and I just said, jacuzzis are weird because like if friends came over for dinner, you would never be like, you guys want to take a bath after dinner? Like, but that's what you're saying. Like, that's essentially what you're saying when another couple comes over and gets in the jacuzzi. Like you would never go, you guys want to come over for dinner. And then after maybe, I don't know, we'll just all get in the bath. You guys want to do that? Like, so jacuzzis are weird. Will that turn into a joke someday? Maybe, maybe not, but I've collected it and it's in kind of the, the rock tumbler of my creative process. And then will I have the discipline to see the connection between other things? That's part of my creative process. Hey, Heather here, and we're going to jump back into this interview in just a quick second. But I wanted to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by the Think masterclass.com. We are doing a special live training, Sean Cannell here at Think Media online for you on Monday, May 24th at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We're going to be diving into the one YouTube strategy that Sean used to generate 57,346 views per day and how that video makes over $100,000 per year just from those views without AdSense. You're gonna learn the three reasons YouTubers fail and how to avoid these mistakes, the one strategy that's getting views and making money on YouTube, and the most recent tactics based on all the new updates that have happened in 2021 with YouTube. You can register today for this free masterclass at thinkmasterclass.com. This special event is happening on Monday, May 24th at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. You don't want to miss it, so go to thinkmasterclass.com to register for this free training today.
All right, let's jump back into today's interview with John Acuff. Man, that's so powerful. And I want to kind of go a little bit deeper on just your craft, because I mean, as a communicator, you're also with respect and those listening, I mean, you're seven books into creating content, blog posts, mm-hmm. you, you've, you've sharpened the saw over the years and over your career. Um, when it comes to really YouTube's communication, I mean, no doubt about it, like at the end of the day, and you're communicating potentially, if you're also, so many listening are doing the editing, they're adding the music, they might add sound effects. You also have the chance to not just deliver on camera, but to potentially think about timing, intros, footage, and it could be like an accordion. It could be very simple and you need to just perform and be funny or educational or whatever, or you're using all kinds of different mediums. What are ways just specifically for your craft? You, you've you turned pro a long time ago. You, you, you approach this not as a hobbyist, but as someone who does this very seriously. How have you sharpened the saw of your craft as a communicator? There's a couple of ways. One is repetition. So, it, you know, you want to get better at YouTube, make more videos. Like that's, I mean, like I, that's the shortest, that's a haiku probably. Like, but I, somebody asked me the other day, they said, Hey, I've got to give a 10 minute speech once a week at my company and I'm not very good at it. And I said, well, how often do you practice it full? And he was like, I don't, I just like go over my notes and I get up and do it. And I was like, well, you're giving yourself one practice 50 times a year. So if you practice three times, it's 10 minutes. We're talking 30 minutes. If you practice three times every time, you would give yourself four years of experience in one year. Like you would like everyone in the world would get better if they did four years of repetitions in one year. So that's, I mean, that's the first thing. The second thing is I try to create in layers. I recognize that my craft has layers. So the first layer is just the idea. Like the words aren't right. You know, if I was, you know, if we were talking YouTube specifically, the transitions wouldn't be right. I'd be storyboarding. I'd just be like, what's the, what's the idea I'm trying to communicate? And then for me, I'd go, okay, how do I, how do I make it positive? I tend to, my first drafts are pretty mopey. Like they're very like counting crows, 12 minute version of round here at the Sydney opera house. Like they're kind of like, like a little bit mopey. I'm like, all right, well, I want them to be more positive. So I add a positive layer. And then I'm like, I want them to be specific. I have a note on my wall that says, oh, here it is. I have that. This is for every YouTuber out there. Specific is sexy. The more specific you make what you do, the better. When I, instead of saying to you, Sean, researchers have done some cool stuff. I go, hey, NYU professors. Hey, Dr. Haskins at the University of Tennessee. Like that lends sexiness where you go, oh, okay. That's like, that's, that's better. And then I add a humor layer. So I think of it like a layer where I go back through and go, today I just posted about the, hitting the Wall Street journalist. And I wrote the post and I was like, it's kind of, it's not super positive. And I was like, and I want it to be funny. So I just told the story that this whole week, and I want it to be authentic. My wife has been saying, hey, don't get disappointed. Don't get disappointed if you don't hit a list. Don't get this one. Like she's been prepping me. And I said, she said that to me all week. The only thing she said more was, can we make out? Because being married to a writer is intoxicating. So like now I've added a humor layer. So I'm still communicating, but I've layered on. So I think a good story has layers. And then the other thing is, I think every YouTuber needs to know the best stories are the ones I tell myself. Everyone watching your video has more vocabulary personal to them than you could ever tap into. I have 45 years of memories and language. So if you'll start the story, 
Like I think amateur YouTube is overstuffed. Like there's so many ideas because you're afraid to let something breathe and great YouTube. There's enough space that I can finish the story. You start it. So like you start a story about the beach and you have no idea knowing that when you do that, if you leave me space, I'll remember Ipswich, Massachusetts. I'm in the third grade. My dad's in seminary. We're sitting on the roof of my house, which my mom was not happy about. And we can see miles away, this thin little strip of North shore, this little blue ocean. And it was the best. And so if you'll leave me room, I'll tell that story, which is why every Porsche ad, if you look at a Porsche ad, a Porsche ad could have a thousand words on it. It doesn't. It has a really good headline. It has a money shot of the car and it has two little paragraphs because a Porsche isn't a car. A Porsche is a story. And they know the person that's going to get into that car, buy that car, has a story about Porsche that if you'll leave them room, they'll tell the story themselves. That's how I kind of think about my craft. Wow. Um, super powerful. And I want to kind of steer into our thoughts and, you know, for listeners still, this has been so encouraging, but there's the, the giant ahead of us that is staring us down still. And it is that, that we haven't actually got on camera and press record yet, uh, or we haven't maybe shared that bold idea and we've been playing it safe with the content that we've been creating. Um, so many different business owners and people building their online business it's that risk of hiring or that risk of, I mean, you start thinking about overthinking, are they going to be crazy? Am I going to waste my money? Uh, are they going to hate me? Am I a good leader? Uh, am I going to, is this going to be, is this the end of us? <laughs> it's the ship yeah. sinking. I mean, yeah. I, like you, uh, we're, we're going through some expansion at Think Media right now, major expansion, like actually like eight roles, which is like over 50% of the size of our team. So I'm like, are we going to make payroll? Are we going to destroy our company culture? Are we, you know, a lot of different things. You have three questions people should ask their thoughts. When I'm going yes. through these overthinking thoughts, what are those questions? So you ask your loudest thoughts. I always say that because nobody has time to ask every thought. Like who has that much time? You have a million thoughts. So you take your loud ones. Imagine your loud boom box. Like you take the loud ones and you ask it three simple questions. Is it true? Is the thought I'm thinking right now true? Second question, is it helpful? Does it move me forward or does it hold me back? And third, is it kind? If I said it to a friend, would they still want to be my friend? And the reason you ask three is that let's say your question is, or let's say your idea is, I won't be a good leader of people. I'm trying to expand my company. I'm just going to use you as an example, Sean. I'm hiring eight people. I'm not, I'm not ready to lead them. That might be true, dude. Like you might like, you might not be perfectly ready in the same way you weren't ready for a baby. Like no one's ready for, nobody goes, I got parenting figured out. Like my daughter goes to the prom next weekend. I'm not ready for her to go to the prom. But so that first question, you might say, is it true? But then you go, is it helpful? Does saying that to myself over and over make me do more videos or less? And we'd all go, it actually, it makes me do less. And then you say, is it kind? If I said it to a friend where they want to be my friend, you go, no. I talked to a podcaster the other day um, and he said he's been number one in his category for nine months. And the, the soundtrack he's been listening to is, you're just lucky, you're just lucky, you're just lucky. And he said, if my friend told me, hey, I've worked really hard and I built this thing and it's been successful for nine months, I'd never go. You're just lucky. Like only a jerk would say that. So why would you say that to yourself? And so that, you know, if you can't answer yes to all those questions, it might be a broken soundtrack and it might be something that you need to retire. Wow. And start playing a different soundtrack. Uh, that'll lead us to the results that we want to get. What's an example of that for you where you uh, have some soundtracks where you had to see if they checked the box on those three questions? Okay, um, here's one. So I had to write down, ask for more. 
I wrote that on August 27, 2020, because I was undervaluing what I was worth. In negotiations and conversations about projects or money, I was undervaluing what I do. And I needed a reminder that not only is it okay to ask for more, you should ask for more. And so for me, that was one where, you know, instead of going, okay, who are you to ask for that amount of money? Like all these broken soundtracks around money. I said, okay, I need to create a new one. I need it to be simple. So I remember it. I need to put it up. And so we talked about a little about that. We've highlighted the three R's. The three R's are you retire your broken soundtracks. You replace them with new ones. And then you repeat them so often they become as automatic as the old ones. And so for me, this was the replace. I took, who are you to ask for that amount of money? And I said, no, I'm going to start leaning into this. Ask for more, ask for more, ask for more. And then I'm going to, I'm going to re repeat it so often. I actually start to believe it. I actually start to lean into it and I'm going to have other ones. Here's another one. I feel like I'm grabbing notes right off the wall, but this one says people are trying to give you money. People are trying to give you money. And I needed this one because Sean, I had broken soundtracks from bad business situations. I've had business situations where I got taken advantage of, money got stolen, IP, all this. And it's really easy for me to listen to a broken soundtrack that says, everyone is going to take advantage of you unless you're really careful. You got to completely be on guard. You got to watch out for where people are trying to screw you. And when I listen to that soundtrack, I roll into meetings and I'm defensive and I'm tight fisted and I'm judgmental and I, and I don't, really show up in the meeting the way I want to show up. So for me, I need to be reminded when I'm having a Zoom meeting from this very spot, oh, that's right. People are trying, people are trying to give you money. Oh, that's right. Let's do this. Like ask for more. Like you should ask for more. And we've taught you and I, you know, have been friends for a couple of years. I've talked to you about that process. Like that's a work in process. That's the last thing I'd say. You have to repeat it. You have to repeat it. One of the greatest mistakes you can make, especially in YouTube. I meet so many YouTubers that go, I tried, YouTube didn't work for me. It didn't work. And I'll go, what does that mean? Like I didn't monetize fast. I didn't, whatever they wanted. And I'll always go, it's the same with diets. People go, this exercise didn't work. And I go, well, how long did, it, did you work on it? And they'll go 10 days. And I'll go, how long <laughs> did it take you to gain the weight? And they'll go 10 years. You gave yourself 10 years to gain the weight and 10 years to lose it. So the soundtrack that I give everyone there is don't give the problem a year and the solution a week. Don't give the problem a year and the solution a week. You can't quit YouTube that quickly because it takes time to get going. It takes time to have results. It takes like, here's the other thing. If no one's watching your channel right now, congratulations. You just got the gift of invisibility. You're getting to make your mistakes and be invisible and make mistakes that you don't want a hundred thousand people to see. Like you don't want a million people to see, like you've got the gift of invisibility and you're going to work on stuff. And you've got this private little lab and you want it to grow and you're going to grow it, but it's going to take some time. And you've got to be kind to yourself for that, that thing to take some time to repeat. So if you say, I feel inadequate in front of the camera and you felt that way for five years, don't think you'll change that in five days. Like you get, you take this really new, fresh little soundtrack and put it up against this five-year monster that's been doing like weights in the prison yard. And you go, I wonder why these two things had a problem. You've got to repeat it. You've got to give it time. You've got to be patient with it. And that's not always easy, but it is the path. Man, I'm so excited about all the value you've been adding. And I know our community is just buzzing. And I'm also just excited about the book soundtracks and really actually this term, I mean, immediately it's so sticky for me personally, friends, even our team is sharing. I really believe this is going to become part of the vernacular um, because music is such a part of our personal lives and a part of culture. And we can think about it. It's just a great illustration for 
um, you know, positive music, negative music, the music that we love, needing to get a new road trip playlist, needing to get a new playlist uh, for building that YouTube channel, building that business. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the book in just a second, but I am curious what what are some of the the soundtracks? What are some of the albums? What are some of the artists that have uh, just been a huge impact in your life? And all of a sudden, nostalgia or emotion comes up uh, with some of those classic jams. Oh, if I hear Don Henley, Boys of Summer, like instantly, I'm like out on the road today. I saw a deadhead sticker on a Cadillac. Like that's one of the best lines ever written, in my opinion, because it instantly tells you a generation has grown up. The deadhead sticker shouldn't be on the Cadillac. People are changing. A little voice inside my head said, don't look back. You can never look back like that song. Oh, if I hear that song, um, Counting Crows, I joked about the Counting Crows, but they are probably the band I've seen the most. Um, they're on my college Mount Rushmore. Like I remember Mr. Jones sitting in the car trying to rewind the tape and my date wouldn't listen. I was like, I was a lyric guy. So like, no, 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 no. Like, and like when I play a song, I want you to hear the lyric. And if you start talking over the lyric, I just have to replay that section and it's awkward for both of us. Uh, <laughs> so that's part of it. And then for writing books, like, like Moby has an album called like hotel ambient, um, where it's just, I can't write to lyrics. So like Sigaross, like, I don't speak Icelandic or whatever made up language they add to their Icelandic as if Icelandic wasn't difficult enough already. So like albums like that, I can write to. And then like, if I'm running, then I need something that's aggressive and lyric based. And like, I need Eminem on eight mile. Like that's when I need, that's when I need that. So yeah, I, I love music. I just think it's such a powerful thing. My first concert, I'm curious, yours. my first concert was uh disclaimer, my big sister, uh, of course, who has influence on your life, sure. got me really into New Kids on the Block. And KOTB, and KOTB, uh, I get it. Hanging that's right. Tough. And, and that was my first tough. concert, Tacoma Dome, Washington. And I even had the New Kids on the Block stage and the New Kids on the Block Barbies. Like they were, they wow. were the Barbie. Yeah, that's. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Who do How you think you? was the best in New Kids on the Block? Who like, were you like, oh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Danny Wood guy. Nobody's I, a Danny Wood Isn't guy. Donnie one of them? Donnie is, yeah, he's still out there. Jordan Knight. I mean, it's hard to, it's Jordan Knight, hard, it's, his brother, Jonathan, which was like the, like, like the, I don't know, like the TBS edited for TV version of Jordan Knight. Yeah. I right. know a lot about NKOTB apparently. That's so funny. Was, what was your first concert? Oh, Amy Grant, Michael W. Smith. Like okay, hard, yes. hardcore, just went on Smitty, if you will. That's there what everybody in Nashville calls him. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was like just a night of synthesizers. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, that was my first and then my craziest concert was Rage Against the Machine. Like it was the only concert where I was like, I think I'm gonna get punched in the head a lot at this concert. Like there's a lot of people punching. Like I didn't <laughs> realize what what a punchy crowd this was. It was a good show, but it's a lot of punching. A lot of bulls punching. on parade. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, was, it was so funny. <laughs> soundtrack. Soundtrack. So tell us about the book. Um, again, you can check out show notes if you're listening on audio on YouTube, of course. Uh, leave uh, your aha moment and action item today in the comments and you can always hit the like button. Um, but uh, man, I'm excited about this book. I'm halfway through it. I'm loving it. And I love because again, as an aside, there's a lot of books that I like and get a, lo get a lot of good information out of them. And I'm like, that's exactly what I wanted. I needed it, but I have to work for it. There's not that many good, well-written books, personal opinion. There's, they're not good books, but they're great content and they will help your life. There's something else when it actually is also a good book, meaning the stories flow, it pulls you through it. It's organized well. It's a nice read and almost like a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. 
you get the medicine as well, but it's it's done in a pleasurable way. Just that's my feeling because you're a great writer, obviously a, a skill sh- set that you've sharpened. And I think the humor aspect, as well as getting science-backed data, that's really going to help us rewire our soundtracks. So I'm a huge fan of the book and I recommend everyone pick it up. But kind of what's your vision for the book? Because I think this is not only something you're proud of, but something that you're going to be uh, shouting over the soundtracks for a while. Yeah, I think it's gonna book. It's a book I'm gonna sit on. It feels like a book to steward. Um, that's a word I keep coming back to. Like I'm gonna do my best to steward this idea. Um, I think the it feels different to me in that it is sticky. It is, you know, my I I feel like my job as a communicator is to put handles on ideas. I'm a handle maker. I try to put handles on ideas because we have enough ideas. The world is full of ideas. We don't have handles on them where we can pick them up with us and take them into Thursday or take them into next month. And so what I like to do is take really complicated ideas like thinking or overthinking and go, okay, how do I simplify this? How do I give somebody three questions that they can actually ask? And here's the thing, like when you do something like that, you create what I call Trojan horse truth where it looks simple. Like the question, is it true? It's simple. Like none of those words, nobody listening to this or watching this was like, what? I've never heard the word helpful before. That's crazy. What a brand new idea. But when you ask it and you actually sit with it, you find things that you're going to be surprised you found. I mean, for me, we saw somebody say, okay, their old soundtrack, because we created this graphic where people could go, here's my old, here's my new. And this guy said, my old soundtrack was, I can't be a good dad because I didn't have a good dad. And he said, my new soundtrack is I can, I can learn how to be a great dad. And so like that dude's kids will be different because he's no longer telling himself, I lost the ability to be a good dad to my own kids. Cause my dad was in a great dad to me. Like that's life changing. So like, I think the book is just getting started. Like I really do. I really feel like, um, and then from a company perspective, like even the ability to go, no, here's how, like, here's the problem with your company soundtracks. Every company has soundtracks. You start to realize like every couple has soundtracks. Every family has soundtracks. Every company has soundtracks. And that's where you go, wait a second. So like an easy soundtrack at a company is like a new one I would give them is um, curiosity beats criticism. Curiosity beats criticism. You have to actively say we're doing new stuff. So we're going to be curious because if we shoot it down before it has a chance to grow. And the fascinating thing about that is the people at a company who are the best at the old way fight the new way the hardest because they have the most to lose. And that throws leaders for a loop because they think this is my top guy. This is my top girl. Like they're going to be so fast to do the new way. They're not. And you go, wait a second, is it an attitude? It's not. They just have so much more to lose. And so you have to foster a community and a culture where you can say, okay, we choose curiosity. Like Google did a study called Project Aristotle. They spent millions of dollars, studied more than 180 teams, 35 different statistical models to figure out what do the best teams at Google have in common? Like, what are they doing? And the number one thing above all, the data show, this is what the data showed. The best teams at Google have what's called psychological safety which is the ability to ask questions and make mistakes and suggest ideas without being judged unkindly. And that's the key. So when I say, is it kind, I'm trying to get you and your team of one to be kind. The reason you haven't made YouTube videos is before you've even written down the idea, you've judged it and gone, that's a dumb idea. It's already been done. I'm not as like, I'm not as good as Mr. Beast. Like that's the crazy thing YouTubers do is they, they find the like most popular person with a team of 50 and a budget of 2 million. They go, my video just wasn't as good. Of course not. If you drove past a building with 50 people in it, you wouldn't go, I'm just trying to compete with that building. It's going to be challenging because they got three stories and I'm just here in this civic. 
but I'm going to, that's my competition. No, it's not. No, it's not. That's so unkind. And so that's, what's really fun to me is to go, well, how do you apply soundtracks to parenting? Like, how do you apply it to your business, to your YouTube? Because it'll change everything you do. Like, I really genuinely believe that. So yeah, I feel like I'm going to be on this one for a long time. Man, I love it. Soundtracks, the surprising solution to overthinking. John, so grateful for the value you've added today. You're working on some projects. Uh, people can, of course, uh, be, get the book and there's uh, details for that in show notes. But uh, if people want to connect with you, social media and uh, what can we expect? I'm excited about your YouTube channel. I'm so grateful I would, you're posting YouTube content. Yeah. So I'm author John Acuff on YouTube. I've got a podcast called All It Takes is a Goal. And I, I recently interviewed a woman named Colleen Berry that nobody's heard of, but a few years ago I met her and because and, I asked people, have you ever used your mindset to change your circumstances? And she lost her job as a documentary filmmaker, ironically enough. She had to take three other jobs. One of them was as a receptionist and she decided I'm going to change things. And now she's the CEO of that company. Like she went from being the receptionist to the CEO. And it was this amazing interview. So that's what I would say. Go check out that episode. It's on my podcast. All it takes is a goal. Uh, I think it'll be really encouraging. And then I'm just at John Acuff on Twitter and Instagram and Acuff.me and all, all the locations. You can find me all over the place. John Acuff, thank you so much. Thanks, Sean. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview and this special bonus session that we brought to you here on the Think Media Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and make sure that you register at thinkmasterclass.com for that special live YouTube training that Sean Cannell will be doing. It's happening on Monday, May 24th at 5 p.m. That replay will be up for only a short limited period of time. So you're going to want to make sure that if YouTube is your next step, and you're ready to stop overthinking it, to get unstuck, to break through the fears and really get confident when it comes to growing your YouTube channel, then you want to make sure that you're at this special event happening on Monday, May 24th at 5 p.m. And make sure you like and subscribe to this podcast if you're listening or watching on YouTube. And if you're listening on anywhere that you get your podcast from, we would love for you to rate and review the podcast if Apple is where you are listening in. So make sure you leave your review on what you love about the Think Media podcast, and maybe we'll read it on a future Tuesday featured episode. Thank you so much for watching and we will catch it or listening. Let me say that <laughs> watching or listening to the think media podcast and we will catch it in the next episode. Bye.